was going to take some time to cover 1 Corinthians 14 as a not part of the message, but part of the message thing, whatever you want to call that. Prelude? Prelude. We're educated. Prelude. Um, but I'm not going to because I don't have a lot of time. But if you want to see the beauty of what the Lord can do by his Holy Spirit in arranging a service, go read 1 Corinthians 14. Think about the content of uh, this morning's Sunday school, the worship songs that were chosen, the prophecies that were uttered, and the readings, and then the sermon, which I'm about to give. Um, I didn't talk to my dad. I didn't talk to Edwin. Um, I didn't know he was going to talk about Romans 10. Um, it just happened to work that way. And um, Paul says that what happens when you come together? Well, one has a psalm, one has a uh, word of exhortation, one has a prophecy. And that the point of prophecy is for the church, not for the unbelievers, but for the church that, uh, that we would be edified and strengthened. And so uh, I, thought, I thought Edwin's prophecy this morning was great. He, he said that the Lord is your father, that the Father God is your father, and he's not like your earthly father. And the point of this sermon today, which I'm about to start, is about God the Father. Um, so let's start, shall we? Um, today we're going to cover... Uh, a number of topics, probably in 30 minutes. Um, we're going to look at a few different parts. Who is God? We're going to look at the goodness of creation um, coming from God, that is God-made creation. We're going to briefly touch on what is a term called monotheism. We're going to look extremely briefly at both Judaism and Islam. And uh, we're going to look at the necessity of the language uh or of the phrase, the Father, both in the creed and, and, and how it affects our understanding of who God is. We're going to look at what Jesus said about the Father, and then finally we're going to look at how he is not just Jesus' Father, but he is our Father. Um, so the point of this series of teachings is to hope, uh, hopefully enlighten us to understand the faith as it's taught in both the Apostles' Creed and the, the other major creeds, the Nicene Creed, other biblical creeds, other creeds that aren't recited here week by week. Um, in doing that, it's necessary to cover a, a, a concept called apologetics. That is, why do we believe the things that we believe? How do we defend the Christian faith? Many of us in this room um, grew up in a Christian home um, or, or went to church. Raise your hand if you went to church as a kid. This, is, this doesn't make you saved, but... Um, so, so most of us went to church when we were a kid. About 90% of you just rose your hands. Most of us went to church when we were a child, um, whether it was our parents or, or a neighbor took us. Um, but so, so for many of us, we have just assumed that Christianity is the truth, but the creed deals with, and it is necessary for you to be able to deal with, uh, other religions who claim to have a, a monopoly on truth, but do not. Um, and and it's necessary for you as a Christian to be able to give a defense for uh, what Christianity is and, and why we believe, uh, why and what we believe about God as revealed by the scriptures. And so normally you probably wouldn't hear a sermon on Judaism and Islam. And I, I can just, I know that this might be a little weird, um, but I think it's really necessary. Uh, so so the nature of God, man being an intelligent being, asks questions. We looked last week about how an unbeliever might 
have questions when they come into our meetings. Um, man being a rational thinking being made in the image of God, man asks questions. And the philosophers, they're just a special type of man or m mankind, that is men or women. And they have a lot of, they have a lot of questions. Um, they're just men with more questions. But they have these type of questions called first order questions. And these are the, the reason they call them first order questions is because these are the type of questions that are very important. Um, you can't you can't move on to other questions before you solve these. And these are these are foundational questions that many of us don't ask um, all the time because we we believe we've we have some understanding of them. But um, these first order questions are things like: Is there a God? Um, if there is a God, who or what is he? Is he is he a peanut butter cosmos, you know, God spread throughout the the universe in some, you know, evenly distributed way? And, you know, is he the God of, of Star Wars? Is it is the force God? You know, who knows? Is Buddha God? Uh, what is existence? What is meaning? That is, what are the things that uh, define our reality? What is reality? Can you know reality? Is my reality your reality? These type of questions are very basic and they're very... Um, they're very important, but these are the type of questions that man asks. And so in, in, in answering what is real, we have to ask the question, well, who am I? And if, you know, am I real? Am I a thinking person? Um, what is right or wrong? These are, these are questions of, of what we call first order. The, they, they are necessary and they're important. Most of us have, have somehow... Uh, whether it was through church teaching or the scriptures or or reasoning or the um, uh, common wisdom that God has given us that is common grace to know his heart and to know who he is, we've answered some of these questions, um, m mostly all of them. Um, some of them are still fun to talk about, like what is reality? You know, that's the, that's the great question of the postmoderns today. What, you know, is my reality the same as your reality? Is truth for me truth for you? Are there different types of truth? Um, uh, you know, can my can I just claim truth and and experience that truth on on my own apart from your experience? And and does that matter? Does it even matter if there's a common experience? Those are some of the postmodern questions, and um, the the creed has answers for that. Uh, the Apostles' Creed provides answers to these first order questions. Uh, first of all, the the first one it provides an answer for, is there a God? Yes, it says, I believe in God. So you can't believe in something that doesn't exist. Um, you know, you, you, can, you can believe or you can talk about things that don't exist. Like if I said, imagine a purple elephant, you could sit there and you could imagine a purple elephant. But purple elephants don't exist in nature unless you paint one. Um, so you can't believe, you know, you can't believe in, I believe that there are purple elephants when all the evidence is contrary to the fact that there are no purple elephants. But you can conjecture, you can think about things that could exist. But the creed says, I believe in God. That is, our belief is in a person, and that person is God. The creed then goes on to say it answers the, the second of our first order questions, who or what is God? Well, I believe in God, and God is the Father Almighty. That is, the creed begins to describe who is God. Um, we're not going to talk about the Trinity necessarily this morning, but um, we're not denying its existence. But uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God is a, a triune being, and today we're talking about God as God the Father. 
So in dealing with God as being God the Father, it then goes on to say the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, Our reading this morning was from Genesis 1. It was the whole chapter, and that's a little bit long, but I believe that Genesis 1 is a very important passage to continually revisit. In Genesis 1, as you, you heard Larry read over and over again, God saw that it was good. So as Christians, we believe that God made both all of that is seen, as the Nicene Creed teaches, all that is seen and all that is unseen. That is, God made both the heavens, the, the, the spiritual realms, the, the re- spiritual realities, the angels, and, and all other spiritual beings that exist. And he also made the earth. That is, um, we might think of it as the physical universe, the, the, the created order uh, that we can see and experience with our natural senses. And so as Christians, we believe that the fall was, uh, was something that damaged creation, but that before the creation and through God's redemptive purposes, creation is good and it shows his handiwork. Uh, many people actually believe that God's uh, invisible attributes can be seen in creation. That is, he actually has created the world And so when you create something, you leave your impression or your mark on it. And in so doing, um, we see his handiwork and we recognize that God, uh, as a good God, has has created this world. And we don't fall into some sort of Gnostic heresy that, you know, physical, material things are evil and that all spiritual things are good. In fact, there's actually very many spiritual things that are very, very bad. Uh, Satan and the demonic kingdom, spiritual powers of wickedness, as Paul calls them, the spirit of the age, as Jesus warns us against. Uh, Those things are spiritual things, and they're very, very evil. And so we don't fall into uh, some sort of Gnosticism believing that the physical world is is evil or tied to some sort of, um, you know, evil uh, order or evil origin, but but that the spiritual things are good. We don't go there as Christians. And <clears throat> this leads to an implication. If, if the creed says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, then what is that heaven and earth that, that it talks about? Well, it's the created order. Uh, Paul in Romans 1, 18 through 24 or 25 argues, he says, that uh, concerning these people who don't see God's handiwork in the created order, or they, they say that he's evil, or they think that the created order comes from somewhere else, he says concerning them, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. So God's put something in them that they know who God is that they, they know, at least they know that there is a God. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. That's one of the key points that I'm trying to bring out this morning, that the God that we worship is not like the other gods that are, that are worshipped on the earth. They did not honor him as God, nor give thanks, but they became futile in, that, in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God 
for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So that tells us something very important. When we say the first few sentences of the creed, that I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're declaring we're not idol worshipers. We don't believe in a God who is, you know, some sort of cosmic force that's just in nature or nature itself. We don't believe in a God that is uh, is only after the pattern of created order or created things. No, we worship the one true God. So the question then becomes, uh, what is, you know, is it okay? Paul says that there, that these people uh, who worship uh, animals and idols, these people have wrath on them coming from God. And that's true. Indeed, they do have wrath coming on them from God. <clears throat> because, as that passage says, that they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So if, if it's, you know, if it's, evil to be an idolater, is it okay or does it make you righteous to just believe in God? What if I'm not suppressing the truth about God, but I actually do believe in in God? Um, That's a great question, and the creed answers that question. Here we need to talk about monotheism for a second. Monotheism is a simply a belief in the existence of one God or that God is one. So Christianity Uh, We won't cover it completely today, but there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that God is one, that he's not divided. There are not three gods. There's there's one God, and he's uh, revealed himself in in three persons. Um, So to to us, we fall into the category of a monotheistic religion. Christianity, Islam, and uh, Judaism are considered by most people to be the three major uh, monotheistic religions. There are others like Sikhism, um, but it, it doesn't really classify in, in the same order of monotheism. Uh, it, it, that is the traditional three uh, monotheistic religions. We won't cover any of those other things because they really fall outside the scope of what we can talk about today. But the question becomes, well, if if Judaism and Islam both believe in only one God, then why aren't we Jews or why aren't we Muslims? And And if you've grown up in a Christian home, you've probably never had to deal with that question because you've just grown up believing in Yahweh and that Jesus is his son and Jesus is equal with the Father. But you know people who are either Jewish or uh, Muslim, and these kind of questions you need to have solved if you're going to help them at all. Um, The Creed of Judaism may be said to be contained in the 13 Articles of faith from a guy by the name of um, uh, Maimonides. Maimonides. It's I'm terrible with words. Uh, I I can't pronounce old people's names. Um, he lived around the the 1200s. Um, Judaism actually says there is no creed. You don't have to believe in a certain thing in to be a, a part of Judaism, especially the more liberal versions of Judaism or the stuff that has moved off into uh, Kabbalah, but um, 
there there are basically 13 articles of faith that that began to in medieval Ju- Judaism take a form of a creed that is it's necessary to believe these things to be in the J- Jewish faith and these things are uh, as Maimonides Maimonides I'll get that right by the end God exists okay that's good God exists we believe that God is one and unique God is incorporeal, that is, he's not in a body, or another way to say it is he's uncarnate, whereas we we believe that Jesus was God incarnate. Uh, God is eternal, okay, that's great, we love that. Prayer is to God only. Um, The prophets spoke truth. Moses was the greatest of the prophets. The written and oral Torah, that is the word of God, um, what they consider to be the scriptures, were given to Moses. There will be no other Torah. God knows the thoughts and deeds of men. God will reward the good and punish the wicked. The Messiah will come and the dead will be resurrected. We see a lot of common commonality between Christianity and those, those 13. Um, First of all, we, we see that God exists and that he's eternal. And we agree with that. God, God has always existed and, and he has existed eternally. Um, But there's also some very significant departures that Christianity makes from those things. Namely, that Jesus is Yahweh incarnate, so God is not incarnate, uh, but he was incarnated in the person of Jesus. Jesus was the greatest of the prophets. Um, the Holy Spirit inspired the New Testament, so there, there isn't a new Torah, but the Torah, the, that is the scriptures, the, the word of God, what includes the New Testament. And uh, Jesus is the Messiah who has already come. And there's some pretty significant departures from there. None of those deal with God the Father, um, which is the point of, of discussion today, but that's an important thing. God is an eternal God, and he exists, and we agree with that, but we have some disagreement. So, so we know here that we're not going to become Jewish just based on the fact that these 13 articles, we have some similarity. That's not what, why I'm bringing this up. I'm not trying to teach you Judaism. I'm trying to help you understand where Christianity differs from from Judaism, and how to help any of your Jewish friends. Um, The 21st century church has the great new challenge uh, worldwide of responding to the spreading growth of Islam, and it's important for you to begin to understand what they believe, so that when you encounter Islamic people, or um, sorry, Muslims, when when you encounter Muslims, you have something to share with them. Um, And this isn't very, this isn't a unrealistic scenario. I went to Sinclair Community College and spent three quarters with a professor. Um, his name was Muhammad Ali. Um, and not the, not the greatest. He was a good teacher, but he was, he was a Muslim. And, um, you know, he never, we never really discussed faith because I never brought it up and because I was totally unprepared. Um, it's important to be prepared. The Shahada of Islam is the first pillar. Islam has five pillars. That is the Shahada, uh, a pilgrimage, uh, and a number of other things, which I don't remember and won't go into. But the Shahada states that there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. This is the core tenet, or what you might say is the creed of Islam. This is the thing that, um, that they believe, that, that Allah is God. Um, to convert to Islam, all you have to do, according to uh, Muslim teaching, 
is to, with intention and with strong belief, profess the Shahada one time. That's all that you have to do. And they believe that when you do that and then you begin pursuing the other pillars, you're on your way towards righteousness with God. So while Islam acknowledges God uh, or a God, Allah, which I believe is not Yahweh, um, they don't acknowledge the prophets of Israel. They don't acknowledge Jesus as being the Son of God, nor Jesus' deity. They do sometimes refer to Jesus as the person Isa, which we won't go over today, but they, they do believe that he was a prophet, but that his followers uh, went off into, um, you know, heresy, and that uh, Muhammad was the final representation uh, of God's message to the earth, and that he was the only prophet to be um, pursued or, or to learn from. Furthermore, the manner in which uh, <clears throat> relationship with God is established is not on God's part, but it's on man's part. And this is where we begin to highlight, we've, we've kind of been working our way back on the creed. We've talked about heaven and earth, that he's the maker, and now we're going to begin to talk about God being the father. There is a, um, there are tenets of Israel that are outside the Quran, which they consider to be um, informative. It, we might think of them as maybe, um, to Protestants, this doesn't make much sense, but maybe this might be on the order of the um, Apocrypha. That is, biblical writings, or writings that look biblical, but were never fully recognized as part of the canon of Scripture, but they still have some benefit in reading them. Um, they One of theirs is the Sahih al-Bukhari, and that's the only time I'll try to pronounce that. But in that book, in that, in that writing, they have the Hadith of Gabriel, and in Islam, Hadiths are just teachings or the records that hold truth. And so we might think of them as, um, you know, the, the letters of Paul, right? The letters of Paul, they're the epistles, and they hold truth, and they, they are important for us to learn and understand. So they have these things called the Hadith. And in, in the Hadith of Gabriel, this is an account where Gabriel comes to Muhammad, and there's a, there's a number of questions that Gabriel asks Muhammad to basically, you know, he's, Gabriel's in this account is basically interviewing Muhammad, and he is, you know, kind of discussing what is Islam. And this is where we, there are many differentiations between Christianity and Islam, but this is the one I want to highlight today. It says, then Gabriel further asked, what is Isan, that is perfection or righteousness? Allah's apostle, that is Muhammad, replied, to worship Allah as if you see him. And if you cannot achieve this state of devotion, then you must consider that he is looking at you. So here, the goal of righteousness in Islam is, I need to worship God as if I can see him, or as if he's real, versus in Christianity, we believe that God the Father sent his son to come to us. And so the burden of righteousness in Islam is on us, not on God. And that's where the necessity of the Father and the necessity of the phrase, I believe in God, the Father, is very, very important for us. Christianity represents a radically different view of God than what Judaism and Islam present, beginning with the nature and person of God. And Christianity is the only religion that teaches or advocates a, a view of God that he's both personal, 
transcendent, that means transcends uh, beyond all things, and imminent, that is, he's close to us. This God has related to his creation through the express image of, our son, of his Son. And Jesus, when he came, began to teach that God is a personal God. God is not just some God that you have to worship as if you can see him. Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6, uh, 9 through 14, uh, 9 through 15, uh, this teaching and prayer is a radical departure in Christianity from Judaism. Judaism, uh, or that is, the writings of the Old Testament are okay with presenting God as the father of Israel in a nation way, that God begat Israel or God begat Jacob um, and, and, and created this, this nation. But Jesus says they kind of miss the mark. He's not just a God who is a father of a nation. He is the father of his children, and that includes you. He says in verse 9, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. You've got to see the beauty of that. Jesus, the Son of God, is coming and teaching his disciples, and he says, I'm not going to pray to Jesus. You don't pray to Jesus' Father. You pray to your Father. John 1 says, uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Sorry. <clears throat> in verse 10, it says, He was in the world, that is, the word was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. That's spe he's speaking of the majority of the Jewish response of that day to Jesus. But as many re as received him, those who did receive him, Jewish or Greek or, or otherwise, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Christianity teaches that God sent his son and that God's will, God's desire for his creation is fellowship and communion in a personal relationship, one that's called Father and Son. And when we declare in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're not just saying, but we, we are saying, but we're not just saying that God is the Father of all created things, but we also are saying that we believe God in, in the way that he's uh, shown us in the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ, God is our Father as well. He's not just some cosmic first mover, but he's a personal and transcendent and, and imminent God. He's near to us. Jesus goes on and, and teaches um, in John 14 concern. He's about to, you know, he's giving a teaching right before he goes to the cross. In John 14, verse 6, uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And then there's a break. This is an amazing transition. This is like the linchpin of our relationship with the Father. From now on, you know him. And you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father in abiding me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. We don't have to, uh, as, as Islam teaches, achieve some state of devotion. We have to, as Romans, as Larry read in Romans 10, we have to believe on whom the one the Father has sent. And when we declare, I believe in God the Father, we do that in understanding that we have relationship with the Father only through his Son, Jesus. As we see made plain by the words of Jesus, which Paul echoed in our reading today, that there are those who have a zeal for God. That is, they want to believe in God. They want to, um, they want to come to God. They desire to come to God, but they don't do it in accordance with knowledge. That is, they are ignorant of the way in which God has provided for us to have fellowship with him. That is, through his Son. And so, when we declare uh, week by week, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we are declaring these things. We declare his existence as the sovereign creator of the universe who has no rival at all. Not only that, but we also declare our special relationship to him as his children, not just as creatures, but as his children. That's We are creatures. We are, we are created and made in his image, but through the person of Jesus Christ and belief in his work, we're his children. And, and when we declare that, we also affirm the truth of the, the New Testament reading today in Romans 10, that, by th- that we are his children by the regeneration of our souls, which has happened in and through the Holy Spirit, while we were hearing the message of the gospel, that is, the word of peace, or as in Romans 10 we heard, the word of faith. And so when we come together and recite the creed, it's very easy to just, um, as we get started, you know, we, we start saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And then we just, you know, it's kind of just like this train wreck afterwards of mumbled words. Slow down and intentionally think. When I'm, when I'm saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I'm declaring there's a special relationship. I'm near the Father, not by my own work, not by worshiping, God with a special sense of devotion, not by adhering to some sort of abstract system of religious principles, but rather because of the faith that he has given me in the work of his son. That is how I am his child. And that I'm not only his child, but I'm also his special treasure in his creation. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to the beauty of our relationship with you, that which Edwin prophesied earlier at the end of our singing this morning, that we are your children and that we are not just um, relating to you in some religious way, but that you have come and rescued us, that you, you picked us up and you adopted us through your son, that you have created a special relationship with us that no other religion or no other faith can rival or touch. God, we ask you that you would make us strong in the defense of the gospel and of Christianity, that we would have an answer 
to those who we meet, not in not in self-righteousness, but rather in mercy and a desire to to open their eyes to the relationship that can exist and only can exist through Jesus. God, we ask you that you would give us a strong, firm faith, that we would understand what your word says, that we would understand what your son said, that we would know that we have a relationship with the Father. And Lord, we ask that you would move us completely out of doubt and give us full assurance that it is only by grace that we are saved and that we have been saved through your son's work. In Jesus' name, amen.